Recently, I had an incredible experience getting to interview uh, someone I, I, I think of as a mentor in my life and I've gotten to know a little bit over the years is Steve Case. He created America Online. Uh, he also established a really interesting investment vehicle called Revolution and has had this thesis of investing in and supporting really brilliant innovations from communities that are often what we might call overlooked uh, or under-resourced. And so he's been funding over a billion dollars into startups and into founders across America and mostly uh, ones that are outside of Silicon Valley. So really impressive thesis. And then he's written a book, been all over 60 minutes uh, called Rise of the Rest. And Steve's mission really is just to shift capitalism and keeping in mind, uh, when I say shift capitalism, it's not looking at capitalism in a bad way. And these are my words, not his. Capitalism is something that's amoral. It's about who is it the wheel driving and how are we using capitalism to empower communities, uh, enable real change and authentically unlock the tomorrow people are really wanting to create. And this era of greed is good and focusing it only on high performing cities has I think reached its end. And Steve is one of those canary in the coal mine individuals who isn't running around saying the sky is falling. Instead, he's an indicator that has said, hey, this is wrong. There's an opportunity. I'm gonna build the business case to change it. And this man has helped change federal policy, um, invested over a billion dollars, like I said, written two New York Times bestselling books. He's on the, uh, the he's the chair of the Smithsonian. I mean, the guy is just, incredible. Uh, it's an absolute honor that our community got to speak with him. And in this video or audio that you're about to listen to or watch, it's me interviewing Steve with members of the Innovation Collective community. So Innovation Collective is our ecosystem building engine that we deploy into cities, real estate developments on campuses of universities that we've developed over nine and a half years. It's a 70 event per year model using appreciative inquiry and human-centered design that unlocks the potential of people and helps overlooked people get the magic out of their heads, their big ideas, be inspired, show up for themselves, and it starts to change behavior. Learn new skills, change how you eat, sleep, uh, make better friendships, set better goals, and start to become the person you've always wanted to be and build the things you've always wanted to build. So it's a very powerful process of change that we've developed, documented, created playbooks and softwares and tools around. And this specific group is a group of people who read Steve's book. We have a book club as a part of that process of appreciative inquiry. It's in our four different leadership pathways that teams get together, go on a journey down a path. One path is called explore. One path is called studio. One path is called work. One path is called great eight. They're all designed around reading essays and books. One is designed around learning new technical skills. One is designed around you pitching and developing your startup idea. And one is designed around personal development and personal growth with core questions around your self-talk, your money management, your relationships and your health, as well as four other areas, the great eight. This group again, they all went on the journey down the path of Explore and they read Steve's book. And so you'll hear me ask Steve a few questions. You'll hear questions that were pre-submitted by the audience um, that was on part of the audience that was on the call. Just to hang out with Steve. If you have questions about what we do, we wanna spread this around the whole world because we believe we need a better social infrastructure in communities that focuses on people building communities where we create the tomorrow we want. And that has to do with who we are and what we make.
consumerism has become a damning moment in capitalism where people embrace the idea that we're consumers. We're not. We're builders, we're makers, we're creators. At our core, we are creators. And so our whole process is about building creators. And I'm so grateful for this incredible conversation with one of the great creators, Steve Case, who is there to inspire, mentor, and challenge our creators and our nerd tribe we're building. Uh, across the United States. So Steve, thank you. I hope you enjoy this conversation for those who are listening. If you have any questions, you can go to innovationcollective.co. It's our website. It covers that community engine a little bit. If you have more questions, I'll send you a deck that gives really into the details of how we do it, what we do, um, our partners across the United States, the work we've done across the world, as well as we can talk about our real estate development company, our venture capital fund, and our software platform. Um, all that to say, have a great day. Go make something that matters. But first, listen to this conversation and then go make something that matters. Bye. Well, welcome. Uh, we're going to get started. My name is Nick Smoot. And I think most here we've met before. But for those that we haven't met, um, you know, it is a pleasure to have you here on with us for this fireside chat with Steve Case. Um, for, for everyone here, you, you know the vision of Innovation Collective. And in a lot of ways, um, there's a feeling of like being a little brother watching your big brother, Steve Case and Revolution Rise of the Rest out there charting a course and really helping shape policy around rethinking innovation, entrepreneurship, creativity, and it really in overlooked locations across America. And I felt that way. I've been with IC and our teams has been growing for the last nine and a half years. Uh, Steve has done incredible work, as a lot of you know. Uh, and I think we have a real special opportunity to have some fun conversation with Steve. You've submitted questions. We're going to work through as many of those as we can in about 30 minutes. And uh, I've got a couple of questions out of the gate as well. But uh, before we dive into everything, Steve, thank you for making time for us. Delighted to be with you. It should be fun. I agree, man. I agree. There's a lot of uh, People that you you like uh, are a part of our community, so it's your tribe for sure. Uh, so jumping into it, you know, I was on my flight, Steve, and was kind of running through, you know, how to start this, like what's the right intro and the prep up, and I was looking at your bio, and I started to get depressed a little bit um, because it's you know one of the best entrepreneurs in the world, well known. You've literally got America on the internet. You've invested over a billion into startups across 70 plus cities. At one point, you even delivered over 11,000% return to shareholders. You negotiated the largest merger at one point in business history. A lot of presidents know you and trust you, and you've written two New York Times bestsellers, chairman of the Smithsonian, and even committed to the Giving Pledge. So as I was flying, I thought first, you know, kind of joking, like, man, what are you trying to prove? And then second, <laughs> what, what hit me was this guy's probably got something serious to teach about kind of using your life force for good. And what lessons have you stumbled across as you've been charting that kind of a life? And you've got to be living a great adventure while you're doing this. So what, what lessons or, or feedback do you have about using your life force well and kind of this adventure that you're on? Well, it, it's sort of the early days, uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs, it was sort of a struggle, but finally we were able to break through and, and obviously AOL was successful, the internet was successful. And then I realized at a relatively young age, when we went public, I was in my early thirties 
um, that uh, I had a platform. And then yep. the question is, what do you do with it? And some people just decide, like, don't want to do anything with it. I just want to retire and you know, sit on the beach, play golf, something like that. That wasn't too appealing. So then it was sort of, what do I think I can do? But leveraging, you know, what I got here to try to, you know, make the world a better place. It sounds, you know, trite, but it's true. And 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 so, you know, every you know, bunch of years, that's exactly what the priorities are changes. But it was more of a just like with companies, as you all know, kind of momentum begets momentum, and some success creates opportunities that otherwise wouldn't exist. In my experience, that's true with uh, with you know life as well. That you know, they, I had the opportunity to do certain things, which then opened some other doors, and I you know tried to pick which doors I should go through for what reason. But it you know led to other things, and and uh, as long as I feel like I'm making a contribution and having an impact, it, it's uh, I think it's important to keep going, not just to you know step aside. At least that's my view. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. You're, you're definitely modeling it very well. And I think a lot of people look at life as uh, some mountaintop. And I think you've been a good example of, it's just an ongoing journey of kind of, uh, as you said, as the environment's changing, using your platform in unique ways. Uh, I know I'm grateful for that kind of um, a model to look up to. So I, am, I, I do appreciate the, the energy you put into that journey. Uh, with that journey though, I know I at times have that, you know, little nick on the shoulder that sometimes chirps in my ear negatively as I'm trying to get something done as an entrepreneur and a creator. Uh, I realize the need even in our communities, we have a curriculum at one of the areas we work on is self-talk in midst of these eight areas of human flourishing. I thought it'd be fascinating because it, it you know, you look at what you've accomplished and, and I, I wanted to ask the question, like, where is self-talk in your life? How have you managed it? Has it ever been really difficult? Uh, and, and what's it like now in this phase of life? Is it still there or how do you manage that negative self-talk? No, I think there's always a little of that there, probably more when I was younger. I think over time, I guess you get more confidence and um, you see more situations that look like they're dire that somehow turn out to be okay and maybe even create other opportunities. And, and, uh, but, but I'd say in the, my twenties, when we were really pushing, trying to get people to pay attention to the idea of the internet, the idea of our, our little company, um, there were definitely times where I, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't going to work. Maybe, maybe I'm just not the guy to make it work. Um, maybe I just don't have the skill set that I need or, you know, to, to assemble the team that I need to, take on this battle um but uh yeah I, I still have some of that in terms of some of that sometimes i'm doing things that it's not obvious it's going to be successful but um you know it's a, it seems like a challenge and, and something worth you know more, worth pushing ahead and uh, i just kind of try to focus on why it's important you know why as i said it's sort of a battle worth fighting a mountain worth climbing um and how do we maximize the likelihood of success which usually comes down to you know kind of focus and team and a lot of the, the, the basics yeah and you mentioned the battle worth fighting piece is there a practice do you journal do you go for walks do you do anything to kind of clarify uh maybe that fuzzy space once in a while when you start to go down that 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 path and you ask the questions of like is this really worth it 
Uh, do you have a advisory group or what's your, your approach to? It, it depends on the issue because I'm involved in a bunch of different things, but I, I try to take a step back in my in kind of my own mind. Sometimes it might be, you know, going for a hike or something, but it just kind of, usually it's not just a single event. It's sort of, you know, kind of making some notes, making some observations, just trying to make sure, you know, I understand just at least trying to understand the situation in a you know reasonably thoughtful and you know honest way and and figure out what the you know what the path forward is from that awesome thank you yeah and uh there's kind of a section of some questions here around vision and building emerging markets and i wanted to start with one from alan rich uh and it ties i think back to something you mentioned of the moment that, you know, there were, there were moments where you questioned whether or not the internet would actually take and, you know, will this get that momentum flywheel effect or not, which seems so silly to say out loud right now, um, as we're all staring at each other through the internet. Uh, but the question was, you know, what gave you that vision to see the potential power of the internet and email? Where did that come from as a framework? Well, the framework came, I was in, it goes a long time back when I was in college in the late 70s. There was a lot of things being tested back then called you know, video text and teletext and Minitel and a bunch of things in different countries that were being tested that were intriguing. None, none had tremendous success, but they were intriguing. Uh, I also remember re, uh, reading a book, uh, probably 1980, uh, by the futurist Alvin Topfer called The Third Wave. It was talking about sort of this electronic frontier he was predicting would happen and I you know it's kind of futuristic most people thought it was sort of maybe weird I read so well of course this is going to happen it's sort of it seems obvious that there'll be different ways to get information different ways to get you know education different ways to buy products different ways to connect with people uh, I always believed in that idea uh, I didn't know exactly what the technology would be that would enable I didn't know exactly what the the killer apps would be that would really have you know, appeal. I didn't you know, know how long it would take. I didn't, didn't know a lot, but I, I, I did believe in that fundamental idea. And some of that was um, some of the things I was watching and, and, and reading, but some of it also um, was it was building on things that were already successful. There were, it was better ways to do things that already had appeal. So it was, didn't take a leap of faith to say, you know, if we could, people do communicate, are, are there better ways to communicate? People do buy products, are there better ways to buy products? People do learn, are there better ways to learn? Um, and, and so it wasn't, uh, to me, that big a leap of faith that, that eventually it'd be successful. The question was, you know, how long it would it take? Who would, who would be, the, you know, the survivors that would be there when it finally took off? Um, and so I, I, even with AOI, there were times where I did doubt whether we'd be successful I, because there were times where we almost failed a couple times, had to go through layoffs and, and it was sort of existential. Um, but even then I never, uh, was swayed from the idea that the internet eventually would be a mainstream phenomenon. So I think that was helpful to have that belief, that conviction, um, uh, even when, you know, we had some dark days. Yeah, I appreciate that, that answer. And it ties into the next question about emerging markets and how do you, it came from Joni, uh, Joni Moore, who, um, you know, is working on an emerging market. And one of the questions she was asking around gaining investor confidence and how do you sell a category that's just 
really early and you mentioned, you know, last man standing, like, you know, what is that balance of patience and long game and, uh, you know, how to gain investors confidence in you of capital and partners early? Cause you had some great partners throughout the journey. Um, any insight for someone who's building in that kind of the edge? Well, I guess it depends on what the edge is. If it's something that is back to what I was saying before, it's something that kind of logically builds on something that already exists and already has some appeal and it gets easier to make the case. And if it's something that's sort of really, you know, is something that people don't have really a, any, any mental model to think about it or, or any, any sense of what the market you know, you know, might be. Uh, but I also, you know, learned particularly in those early days of uh, not just AOL, but the internet more broadly, you know, two things that have ended up being important, including the more recent work around Rise of Rest. You know, one that, you know, revolutions often happen in evolutionary ways. It, it sort of, it, it, there's a bunch of steps you have to go through uh, and, and it, you know, generally does take longer. Uh, but, you know, if you kind of have the right sense of pacing and the right sense of sequencing and, and so forth, that's, that's helpful. And the other, and you reference it, partnerships are often critical. They certainly were for us. You know, we, we, we were not able to raise much venture capital to start AOL. We raised $1 million of venture capital. Uh, one of the competitors back then was a, a company called Prodigy backed by IBM and Sears, and they had committed $1 billion. So $1 million was not gonna beat $1 billion. We had to come at it some different way. And the partnerships we formed initially with the personal computer manufacturers, Commodore and Apple and so, IBM and so forth, and then with media companies and with communications companies and with commerce companies, really is what led to you know our success and in when you know and again momentum begets momentum it was really hard to get the first one still pretty hard to get the second one but after we you know we went to ibm and we had deals with apple and tandy and commodore it's like okay well i guess i guess somebody thinks you're doing something interesting it's at least worth a look uh and and so the you know the initial partnerships led to a broader array of partnerships and we just kept you know kind of kept that momentum going so that, those would be some of them just trying to you know take the long view try to figure out some way to frame it in the context of something people already understand a market that already exists and why this is this is a better way and to the extent you get partners to buy into your vision and work with you uh both to maximize the upside and accelerate the growth but also kind of hedge some of the downside mitigate some of the risk you know, that that you know, makes it easier for then people, whether it be partners or even, you know, team members to, 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 to believe and want to join you on the journey. Thank you. And there's a, a question I'm going to combine to that kind of flows nicely out of that one. And it's from Janie Lack uh, and then another one by Anna Fromm. And the question is around this idea of strategies that you recommend for entrepreneurs to kind of succeed and overcome the, the challenges? Are there any building blocks that you you go to consistently with your portfolio companies or with young entrepreneurs? Like, look, here's your building blocks that, you know, you've come to love. And, and with that as well, do you have the ability to spot somebody who will succeed and someone who won't was the question uh, that's kind of piggybacks off that if you package them together. Is it, do you have like a sniffer now that's like, yep, that one's going to win and this person's going to make it. I wish I did, but that would lead to a hundred percent perfect record as an investor, right. which I don't have. So you always believe when you're committing that it's going to work. And you all believe obviously in the entrepreneur and sometimes it works and sometimes it, it doesn't work. And I also, 
you recognize, I'm sure everybody on this call knows this, that you know, sometimes uh, what you invest in doesn't work, but that entrepreneur goes on to start something else down the road that might work, which doesn't necessarily help you as an investor. You invested in a particular company, and if that fails, you lost your money, even if they go on to have greater, you know, greater success. But there's certainly uh, you know, a, a meaningful number of examples of, of that. The first one's a little hard to answer because we, we have at, here at Revolution, you know, kind of three different teams, a very early stage seed team, particularly focused on these rising cities, a ventures team and a later stage growth team. And obviously how we think about, you know, the companies, how we underwrite, uh, how, we, how we do our diligence on, on, on companies and how we think we can add value on companies is going to course vary depending on you know what what uh, what stage it's in uh but some of the things we've talked about are some of the things we do look at we we do believe entrepreneurship is a team sport so you know if there is a founding entrepreneur obviously that's important but who's around that person and do they have a mix of skills that are likely going to be what's necessary to be successful in that particular um, you know sector that they're they're targeting do they have some partners that could accelerate their risk and accelerate their their, their growth and uh, so some of the things we talked about before are some of the things that we kind of, uh, you know, look for. You're always going to be surprised by, by uh, somebody who uh, has some, you know, idea in some place that, you know, it doesn't seem like the obvious place that idea might be birthed and uh, takes it and, 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 and runs with it. So we're all, you always have to be open to sort of these things that aren't down the, the obvious strike zone. But, but um, you know, most things do kind of fit into at least the model that we have. Thank you. And, and what do you find for first time founders or first time fund managers this is kind of a question that piggybacks that two different people asked about current economics. So the market where it is and is there any advice or methodology around pitching that you think gets the most yeses? Um, so what advice in this current market and is there a specific you know, secret sauce, the wave of the, you know, the hand this way when you're pitching gets all the yeses. Like what, what is the, the, the trick? Yeah, I still haven't quite figured that out, but uh, I would say <laughs> some of the things that we, we, yeah, certainly have my own experience, both as a, on the entrepreneurial side, as on, as well as on the investor side, you, you gotta believe in the idea. And so, you know, the so-called elevator pitch, I think is important and getting, you know, figuring out some concise way to summarize what you're doing and why it's important uh, and then why you have some something's going on team partners unique technology something going on that gives you an edge that others others don't have I think if, if you don't you don't have that it's hard to get people excited uh, but you also increasingly and going back to this part of your question in this market need to you know kind of couple that with some plan and and uh, around execution so it's not just a vision pitch it's an execution pitch and 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 sort of having credible you know expectations at least in the short run of some of the metrics that are you know are going to be things you track and build some credibility i think is, is is important the other thing i would say and again given the work you've done you know this but it's been interesting over the last decade particularly as we've done a lot of this you know rise the rest work and now you know up to 200 investments with our seed fund in about 100 different cities um, that the, the the how many times you hear entrepreneurs say that they have different pitch decks depending on who they're pitching and the yeah. way it usually goes is and maybe it's changing a little now with this market uh, adjustment uh, but the pitch for the silicon valley investors is heavy on vision and light on statistics. Yeah. 
Yep. And it's kind of the opposite for their local investors or, or, or other regional investors, which is heavier on, you know, almost like blocking and tackling business metrics and so forth and, and doesn't, you know, talks about where you want to go, but doesn't, you know, they want to err on the side of focusing on, on, on the metrics and not being accused of being overly hypey as opposed to, you know, the, at least the traditional Silicon Valley pitch was, was uh, you know, the, it was all about selling, selling the dream. Uh, I'm guessing for most, you know, we're now in an environment where you've got to have that more in balance if, if, you, if, you, if you really need to have, you know, can get people excited about the vision, but also get people comfortable that you're on a path around the execution. Yeah, I, I appreciate that insight. And it's funny because I was literally talking to a business partner of mine and friend, and we were discussing how different uh, uh, presentation even or a, a speech can be depending on the political climate of the state. And it's the same output and end narrative and meta arc, but being nuanced about certain pieces so that you don't freak the audience out or change it and how to help them hear it. And, and I love what you're saying there because I think there's so much truth in that for founders and entrepreneurs that sometimes they get conviction. It's just like, get out of my way. I have the answers versus thinking through, you know, what historically is the, the energy of that town, uh, especially with Silicon Valley. So th thank you for that. that, that no, is I think you also agree with what you're saying. Also, when you're pitching, uh, whatever you're pitching, then that'd be a company, could be an idea, could be whatever. You kind of have to read the room. You know, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, the same pitch to everybody. It's sort of, you have to understand, you know, some, and have some, I guess, emotional intelligence, but also probably do some, some research, kind of understand what they're, you know, they're, how they're thinking about it. And I, I yeah. see this all the time. And, and here, so I live in Washington, D.C. and do spend a lot of time on, on policy. If you just, you know, pitched, you know, here's what I think it should happen around, immigration or something else uh and, and and you don't understand who you're talking to and don't understand what perspective they bring um uh you're not gonna have you know make any progress and so you have to understand uh and you might not agree with it but you at least have to understand you know what 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 they're likely thinking and why they're likely thinking that and then you know, move them from there. And that's also true with, uh, you know, entrepreneurs pitching investors, entrepreneurs pitching partners. If you're talking to a partner, you know, their job is not to solve your problem. Your job is to solve their problem. So what is their problem? And understanding what, 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 why, and, and positioning what you're doing in a way that could be helpful to them is going to have more success than, you know, you explaining why you're so smart and they're so dumb and why they should work with you because you'll save them. That's great advice. One of my most successful presentations to a corporate partner was I made up a fake person who was using all of their services and how we kind of added to their, their journey. Most of our features weren't even talked about the tech stack, nothing. It was just how did that person experience their day in a more abundant way because of the relationship? It was a, a, a really compelling way to look at it. Thank you for the insight there. Jumping over to character and mentorship. Uh, there's there's two questions in this category. Uh, one comes from Linda Olson, who's uh, a leadership coach, and she works with a ton of startup executives. And the question she asked was, how have you focused on mission, vision, and values in your leadership? And I want to bolt on in your leadership, in the business world, the political world, and your personal life, because you've you've got a really good, well-rounded you know, uh, person 
you know, you're, you're not just one-sided and going, going hard that direction. So how does it, you know, how do you focus on that across the stack as well? Well, each are a little different, obviously, you know, I think about, you know, personal family, friends, things like that is, is different uh, than how I think about building a company or, or leading uh, something like the Smithsonian or trying to engage on, 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 on policy. I think what, what probably unites them is in every case, uh, I have to convince myself um, it's a priority. It's a battle worth fighting. I have to convince myself that there's something I can do that can make it at least a little bit better. Um, and you know, if, if I can't do that, then I, I'm not likely to be very effective, uh, and and probably shouldn't even be focusing on it. So, some of it, it gets to the you know the the, the vision side of that, uh, and then the second again builds on some of the things we talked about before. Okay, you have some sense of where you want it to go. That's important. Uh, in some ways, that's the easy part, though. The, the question then is, how do you get there, and what are the, you know, what are the things that you need to either keep getting people aligned or, or other other things to to you know to make that happen. So, you know, that to me kind of kind of drives a lot of the different 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 things. Each of them is different in many respects, um, and and certainly on the personal side, I, I do think of it in a in a different you know context. Um, but in terms of what we're doing philanthropically, what we're doing on the policy side, what we're doing on the business and investment side, they tend to be, um, you know, kind of, you know, focusing on you know, why it's important. And sometimes I also notice uh, over the years, I, I tend to manipulate myself. Uh, mm. I know I'm doing this, though. So at least I'm, I'm self-aware, which is if I can't convince myself it's important and it's a battle worth fighting, I won't do it. And then once I do convince myself, I then layer in reasons why I have to then be successful, or we have to then be successful, uh, including the you know the work on uh, I rise the rest. You know, at one level we're a venture capitalist, but if it was just about you know investing and getting a, a return, I don't think it'd be that compelling. Right. It's really about as you know, kind of identifying entrepreneurs in other places that are left behind in the process, kind of lifting up these communities, creating you know, jobs and hope and opportunity in the process perhaps even having uh, some small role in knitting together a divided country. Therefore, Rise of Rest must be successful. We cannot you know, fail to lose. And that you know, then forces me to act and forces our team to, you know, to really do whatever they, everyone can to make it uh, successful. It's far beyond you know, what, what most people would, would perceive it on. And as I said, in some ways, I'm setting myself up, to, forcing myself to, you know, to take action, forcing myself to you know, persevere, because it, it, it's, it, 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 I framed it in a way that it's so important. I have to, I have to do it. I, have, I can't, I can't not do it, and I can't not be successful. I love that. I, I love the the self awareness to even admit and state manipulating oneself. Because I think sometimes as, as founders or entrepreneurs, we like to think all of our our actions are completely just this pure aligned thing, uh, and the the not only the awareness of it, but the skill set to play that game with yourself when necessary, I think is uh, something to be admired. There's a question about mentors um, and, and it comes uh, from Karen Elkins, who's working on kind of a unique idea around a science of life museum. And her question was more of like, how, how should I find a mentor for this? But I want to take it to a different step as well as, you know, do you have mentors? Um, or you're like, I'm good now. I don't need them. Uh, and then, uh, 
next question to that is how do you find a good mentor or what's your methodology for it? Well, in the early, early years, I definitely had mentors that were helpful because I was pretty young, didn't really know what I was doing. I think of it now more as having kind of allies in, you know, that mm. are you know, kind of aligned around what we're doing, uh, what I'm focusing on, um, and, you know, or can be helpful in, in, in different ways. And sometimes it's just, you know, kind of giving advice and, and you know, bouncing ideas off of folks, but just trying to expand that, you know, that the network, expand you know, that increase the odds of, of, you know, bumping into ideas and bumping into people that could change how you, how you think about things. And, and so to me, it, it's, it's, it's short started with uh, more of a focus on, you know, more, more of a narrow focus on, on a small number of mentors, but now I think of it in a broader, you know, context of, of I guess, influencers, I, I, I kind of people that are, that are, are, um, you know, kind of, um, share some passion about this uh, particular idea and you know, can help help me on the journey. I like that. Thank you. You know, uh, John Ryan asked a question under uh, the category created around community and national change. And he, he highlighted appropriately that uh, in a negative world, somewhat negative world, uh, your book shines a light on positive change in a better future. You know, would you share your thoughts about how these projects uh, impact the overall economy and how people are uh, how how people who are not directly connected to them could or will benefit uh, from increased innovation and in startups? And so, I think kind of just how how is the impact of your work spilling out across the nation? And, and to tie it into another question by Greta Gissel that I think they're very complementary is how do you bring together a divided community? especially with different people who are uninformed and believing everything they read in a, in a crazy world we're in. A couple of thoughts. One is I did have a Smithsonian board meeting yesterday. And one of the things we're focused on is this country turns 250 in three and a half years. Um, and so there's a lot of efforts around celebrating the country and using it as a way to try to you know, unify a, a very divided you know, you know, country. And as part of that, I think it is kind of worth remembering that how we got to now and, 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 you know, we started as a fledgling startup nation that almost failed. Uh, most people around the world did not think it would be successful, but somehow it stumbled along and, and, you know, got traction and, and, and survived a lot of near death kind of experiences and then kind of led the way in the agricultural revolution, led the way in the industrial revolution, led the way more recently in the technology revolution and went from this, tiny little startup nation to being the leader of the pack, the leading economy in the world uh, and, uh, you know, the leader of the free world. And so how do we continue to build on that is, is sort of one, you know, big, big, uh, uh, big focus. How do we, as part of that, remain the most innovative entrepreneurial nation in, in the world? But how do we also do it in a more inclusive way that brings more people and more places around? Right now, we you clearly have a divided country for a lot of reasons. It's not all about economics. It's not all about you know, innovation, it's not all about, you know, jobs, but it's partly about that. And, you know, a lot of people are living in places where those communities were a lot stronger 50 or 100 years ago, they've been hollowed out, people have left because they didn't see opportunity there. Some of the jobs that were there before have, 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 have disappeared and no new jobs have come in to, to, to replace them. And so they're pissed off. And, you know, I get that. Um, and, you know, so the one thing I think we're all doing is, is trying to reverse that by creating new opportunities in those places 
and and you know to part of your question was about how it has a broader impact i think one of the things that everybody needs to understand about you know new companies about startups is that not just the jobs created by those startups it's the broader ripple effect in those communities and there's different data but most pe people say for every startup jobs there's at least five sometimes more jobs in the in the community people building homes people you know building you know working at restaurants other things that are supportive of a of a growing economy so how do you yeah, and the, the the best example of this is, is which I, I you know kick off the Rise of Rest book with is is the story of Detroit, which 100 years ago was Silicon Valley, you know, 10 years ago was bankrupt. Now it's fighting its way back because of what's happening, particularly in the downtown area, because of what entrepreneurs are doing. Uh, and so it, it's part of this you know this way to, to deal with. It. Again, I'm not saying it's the only problem, and and, and it's, I don't think it's a you know silver bullet, but it's part of the answer. And it's certainly the part of the, 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 the I'm most most focused on, and think I can add the most value on. I agree. I agree, and, and that kind of is a nice segue to somewhat of a, a, a final question from the group, and then we'll close out together. Um, you know, there's a question about what are you working on in the near future, and you've mentioned over and over again things worth fighting for, things worth fighting for, and I want to maybe spin the question a little bit. Um, what are you working on that excites you in the near future that maybe we don't know about? Uh, and then what are things that you think we and others should be putting energy into and working on because it's worth fighting for? Well, most of what I'm working on I'll, uh, are things that people do know, including Rise of Rest, because as I experienced with, uh, with the internet, you know, this is a long-term journey. And I think we've made some progress for sure in the last decade, you know, a little bit more progress in an ad, a, it's an odd, maybe sad way during the pandemic, which clearly had an acceleration of the dispersion of talent, acceleration of dispersion of capital. Um, but we still have a long way to go. And so, you know, this is like maybe the second inning. It's, it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot more innings to play. And so I think saying focused on that is, is, the, is the way I, I, I can make the, you know, the biggest uh, you know, contribution. The other area I'm increasingly focused on, uh, both as an investor, but also as an advocate on, on, on policy, is I believe not all, but a lot of the innovation in the next 10 or 20 years is going to require uh, more connectivity between the innovators and the policymakers, and it's big, partly because of the nature of the sectors, healthcare and food and ag and so forth, that are up for grabs. Also, in part because which are tend to be regulated sectors, and also, frankly, because of some of the legislation that passed last year, which is kind of a uh, an industrial policy for the country designed to drive more reshoring, drive more decarbonization, drive more investment in, in infrastructure. A bunch of things are are in play. Uh, and I think it creates a lot of opportunity, but it also creates a new set of challenges. And so focusing on that, how do you how do you really uh, make sure we get that, you know, seize this opportunity in, in the right kind of way? So for me, those two themes, place and policy, place around obviously rise the rest and policy around this next wave of innovation are the areas that I'm you know, will continue to be uh, primarily focused on. The other thing uh, uh, is on a more personal level, uh, pre-pandemic, we had uh, no grandchildren. Now we have three going on four that live in different parts of the country. So that, that adds a new twist to our lives, uh, some additional complexity to our, our, our lives, but it's, it's, a, it's a new chapter to be, be opening as well. That's wonderful. Well, thank you. 
thank you so much. I want to honor time, but I also just want to take a second to, to close out. Thank you for taking the time with us, but also for the work you've done and are continuing to do. I know, um, you know, the, the need for this human flourishing and for people to take agency and go make things and believe they can is such a crucial, crucial job to be done. And you've given a lot of hope to a lot of people. And I am grateful for that, uh, you and your team. And uh, I think we're going to continue to do our best to run alongside of you, not only as an organization, but just as a tribe of people uh, that each of these people represent, small companies and teams all across America. And uh, thank you for inspiring us with all the ridiculous things you've done already in your life uh, and all the crazy things you're going to continue to do to change trajectory in a good way. And uh, it is inspiring. And I don't know what to say, but thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Nick, and thank you all. And I just, uh, in closing, I'm reminded by that African proverb, you want to go quickly, you can go alone, but if you want to go far, you must go together. These efforts we're talking about really require everybody, including everybody on this call, you know, to be focusing on, on, on their piece of the puzzle, but doing it hopefully in an increasingly collaborative, you know, kind of way. That's what's really going to get the the leverage and, and the impact. So thanks for inviting me to do this, Nick, and, and great to have you know, some, answer some of these questions and see some of you, even if it's only by Zoom. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap. You Thank you for watching uh, or listening, however you receive this information and content. I'm grateful you spent some time with myself and Steve Case. Steve, uh, he is a legend to me in my mind, my book, a guy who's using his life force to create good beauty value in the world, doing his best and uh, what he's done for shareholders through America Online, through the Smithsonian, through policy around uh, entrepreneurship and workforce, uh, what he's doing now as well through his investments in overlooked communities with overlooked people, legend. And uh, I love, love learning from him and hopefully you did as well. A uh, little bit about what we do, I'm Nick Smoot. I am the founder of Aesop Industries, uh, much like Aesop's fables and we're helping the world write a better story and tell a better story. I believe that story is what makes the world go round really at, at its core. We tell ourselves a story as individuals and that dictates our choices in our lives and what we make, what we create, who we become. And the world as a whole, we have a narrative, a story. And it's time that we create a better story. And with Aesop Industries, we're investing in companies that are unlocking human flourishing. And we have our services company that does events and strategy for building economies and communities for real estate developers, for governments, for universities, for family offices, for philanthropies, for corporations. And we're serving all those with 70 events per year, per client, per city, for the most part. And we're deploying this ecosystem as a service that unlocks potential in people. And it's a mix of personal growth. It's a mix of uh, building new skills, technical skills. Uh, it's inspirational events. It's mentorship, all sorts of fun things. And it's really just about unlock the magic in people and help us build a community that grows together. And that applies to companies, it applies to individuals, it applies to cities, developers, whatever it is. It's a great, great, great unlock building social infrastructure. Next company is called Realign Ventures. It's a $30 million seed and Series A fund that we're raising right now to invest in companies coming out of that community as well as companies coming from Build Republic. Build Republic is our iOS and Android app and web app that's focused on connecting builders around the world. You list what you wanna create, you list the skills you have and you uh, give it location awareness. It starts to connect people by community, show you events you can go to. 
and then you can work on projects together. We invest in companies out of that as well. And then we have our real estate company called IC Rebuild, and we're building and managing and um, developing or buying real estate developments and campuses across the United States and starting to look around the world with the purpose of building campuses that unlock human flourishing. So we deploy our program with our software, with our venture fund on real estate campuses. And together as a family of companies, uh, this is ESOP Industries, a better story for the world. So if you wanna get involved with us, if you have a company that needs venture funding that you believe we should look at, if you're looking for a new office space or a place to move your company or corporation or apartments, let us know. We've got them popping up. Um, new project in LA that we're working with, one in Nevada, in Reno area. Uh, both with housing and uh, some more that are popping up even in Alabama, uh, Texas, Florida. It's kind of cool what's happening. And then on the ends of our uh, software, go download the app, B-U-I-L-D underscore in the iOS and Android store or buildcities.com online for the web app. And uh, a lot of fun features coming there. It's an MVP that we're proud of, but more to come. Uh, that includes booking locations so you can get an office, an apartment, co-working through the app. You can also crowdfund people's projects and a lot of fun other little hidden features coming that include loyalty points where you get to be a part of a co-op that owns part of our venture fund returns and a part of the community contributing ownership of their companies back to the co-op. So you earn points in the game, the points translate to, it's not a game actually, you earn points by building the real world. I keep calling it a game, but it's actually gamifying building cities and building communities and building economies. So. And our final company, uh, Innovation Collective, if you want to get involved with that, um, you know, reach out, go to innovationcollective.co. So thank you so much for letting me speak with you. And uh, all I can say is uh, go build, go create. You are a creator. You are not a consumer. Don't believe the lie. Uh, for years, we've all been told a lie. We've all been lulled to sleep by media, by marketing campaigns, and by constant narrative stories that tell you that you need to buy more, you need to be more, you need to you know, sell this uh, to go get that, and you're buying things that don't actually make you more, they make you less. You're more in debt, you're unhealthy, uh, you're dissatisfied for many people, depression is the number one disability in the workforce. And a lot of people wanna blame capitalism or the industrial revolution for this, it's not. Those things are interesting breakthroughs that were bound to happen. And it's how we use them. And who's responsible for how we use them? You are, so am I. So time to wake up, ask yourself the hard question of, am I becoming the person I really want to become and am I creating the things I really want to create? If the answer to that is no for either of those, do something about it. Become someone who adds beauty and value to the world and create things that add beauty and value to the world. Not just things that make you money, that's greed and fear, things that add beauty and value. Because if you really can add those to the world, it's gonna be something big special and unique to you that uses your life force your unique story that's going to help other people with a similar story that's the beauty of it if you build a company that solves for your your uh, your kind of journey and unlocks and creates less friction and things in your life ideally it's going to help other people and when you help a billion people you can become a billionaire truly so get out there go do it um, go build things and if you need help engage with us we're a whole platform designed to unlock your potential.